From the McGrath Institute for Church Life and OSV Podcast, this is Church Life Today. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. Sometimes you have to leave what's familiar to discover what is most beautiful, most profound, and most meaningful precisely in your ordinary life. A pilgrimage is one of the best means for doing just that, departing from what you know in order to return anew. But pilgrimage is not just any kind of trip or travel. It is instead an intentional journey made to encounter Christ, or rather, to allow Him to encounter you. Being open to that encounter can be hard work. It takes time and preparation and a willingness of spirit. Christ is always a courteous guest. He may confront you, but he never forces his way into your life or into your heart. He waits for you to welcome him in. To be formed well for pilgrimage means, among other things, learning how to welcome Christ when he comes to you learning how to seek him more willingly, and learning how to love him who always loves you first. My guest today has dedicated herself to the ministry of helping form people for pilgrimages, which means that she is committed to helping others encounter Christ well. Joan Watson is Pilgrim Formation Manager for Verso Ministries, a Catholic pilgrimage company that specializes in not just the logistics of pilgrimage travel, but also the spiritual and communal formation that makes encounters with Christ more meaningful and lasting. Joan came to Verso Ministries after years of serving the church in catechetical and other formation ministries, as well as engaging in her own work as a speaker and writer who focuses on raising up saints in ordinary times. She joins me today to talk about the spirituality of pilgrimage, the forms of formation, and the transition from the extraordinary experiences abroad to enriching everyday life back home. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Joan, you shared with me that you weren't looking for a job or to move from Nashville where you were living, but when the opportunity to help form people for pilgrimages, through pilgrimages arose, you felt called to respond. I'm curious, for you, what was attractive and appealing about this formation work around pilgrimages? Well, I'd always loved travel. I had the opportunity to travel abroad when I was little, even. I mean, in high school, which, you know, to those of us grown up, that's little. Um, (laughs) And my parents really believed in that opportunity to go see the church in the bigger sense, um, even when I was, you know, 14 years old. And so I'd always loved travel. I'd been to Rome several times. I studied in Rome in undergrad. I studied in Rome in grad school. And I saw how Rome... And the experiences of Rome affected my faith life. I was actually studying in Rome in 2005 when the Holy Father died. And Mm. I was at the funeral of JP II. I was at the election of Benedict. Um, And that changed my faith life. I had never fallen away from the faith. I had a great Catholic family. But I really accepted the faith as my own and realized I was given this opportunity in Rome not for myself, but to share it. Because I knew I had fallen in love with the church and not everybody loves the church. Um, and that probably could be a whole other podcast um, hmm. episode. But I had fallen in love with the church because I had experienced the church outside of myself in a really tangible way. And I wanted to share that. So I, I went in and studied theology after that to do ministry, never really thinking 
pilgrimage ministry. It was, you know, I that I didn't even think that existed, right? So I went on and did, you know, catechesis with a college and then formation for DREs and then mm-hmm. catechesis at a diocese, very classic. Uh, masters in theology, go work at a diocese, right? I had the right. classic route. Um, but always, I always incorporated pilgrimage in that formation, whether it was taking DREs to Rome, which I was blessed to do, whether it was incorporating it into adult faith formation in the Diocese of Nashville, which I was blessed to do. So pilgrimage was always part of it. It was always in the back of my mind. And then um, I was working freelance. I was a Catholic speaker and writer and doing freelance work when this job opportunity opened up. And I just was scrolling the you know Catholic jobs and saw this and thought, wait a minute, a pilgrimage company wants to pour into their pilgrims in such a way that they want someone full-time to do formation, formation for pilgrimage. And my heart kind of sunk because I realized this was my job. <laughs> I didn't even know this job existed and this was my job. And I this was a job I desired. And my heart sunk because it meant leaving a lot behind. Yeah. Um, but I just believed so much in what pilgrimage can do in formation. And I think it's neglected a lot. Um And so that's what drew me to the job. Mm. Now, it might seem to some that having a position like this, uh, somebody who's managing uh, pilgrim formation for a pilgrimage company would be a common thing. But I mean, I've I've been in touch with a number of different pilgrimage companies. This is not common. Verso Verso Ministries, founded by our friend John Paul Lachan, invested in this position. This is something Mm -hmm. they want to put their resources into and really focus on. What do you think that says about a pilgrimage company that is investing specifically in that? Yeah. I mean, I think it shows that we don't see pilgrimages just we'll get you a hotel room and we'll book your meals and we'll, you know, maybe get you a good tour, but that we want you to help. We want to help you encounter Christ. Um, And Verso really believes in that pilgrimage should be an encounter with Christ and we're facilitating. So we're just kind of doing what we can and then stepping back and letting Christ encounter you on this trip. Um, But not every company has that. And I think it's telling that when John Paul founded Verso, it's Verso Ministries, Mm -hmm. um, that he really sees this as a way. And he has that, that heart, right? He's coming to it out of campus ministry life, out of formation life himself. And so just to recognize this isn't like a vacation. This isn't like any other trip. But this is going to be a way for you to encounter Christ, not just because you're going to go to daily mass, not just because you're going to pray in beautiful churches, but because Christ encounters us in wonderful meals in Italy, right? In sunsets in in Jordan, right? There, there, Christ wants to encounter us in so many different ways, tangible ways. And sometimes he needs to pluck us out of our comfort zones, mm. putting us in these places to encounter us. And so John Paul recognizes that power of pilgrimage. Mm. I like the way you say that, that we want to help you encounter Christ. Um, but at the same time, that's not something that can be forced, like you're saying. In, at, at a certain point, you have to get out of the way and allow that encounter to happen. So it seems that a lot of the work of creating this ministerial approach to pilgrimage is setting the conditions for that encounter, right? Yeah. Like putting things in the right way and making it more likely that an encounter will happen. Yeah. How have you seen from your experiences with pilgrimages um, what have you seen about the the right kind of conditions, the better kind of conditions for that sort of encounter with Christ? Yeah. I I've found myself talking a lot lately about open hands, open heart, open minds, um, going into that trip with that openness to be surprised. Um, you know, I think many of us want all the details taken care of and we <laughs> right. want to know exactly what's going to happen when, right? And it can be scary because as soon as you 
go abroad, no matter how well you've planned, right? Yes. Verso plans well. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't, you know, leave anything to chance. But no matter how well you've planned, there's unexpected surprises. I remember the the second trip I led. So I did trips before I worked for Verso. Um, I led about 12 pilgrimages before that. And my second Rome trip, the like three weeks before the trip was was going to go to Rome, the Holy Father announced he wasn't going to be in Rome that week. Great. Okay, thanks. thanks. Yeah, right. So I'm bringing all these people who've never seen the Holy Father. Sorry, you're going to Rome, but you're not going to see the Pope. Like, yeah. how do you break that news to people? Right. And so I really talked to them about, like, just being willing to be surprised and encountered. And to make a long story short, we happened to be tracking his plane when he landed back to Rome. <laughs> and Pope Francis goes to Mary Major um, uh-huh. when he returns to the city of Rome. And we just happened, happened. happened to be a Mary Major and got to see Francis like really close. And it was beautiful. But they went to Rome thinking they were not going to see the Holy Father. So I think you just have to go with this openness. And it's not always about the destination as much as about your disposition. Mm. Um, And your disposition, you know, you can do a pilgrimage right in your backyard. You don't have to go overseas because it's, it's more about your disposition going into this place or going into this sacred moment to encounter the Lord. Mm, Beautiful. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today. My guest is Joan Watson, Pilgrim Formation Manager for Verso Ministries. You can find out more about Verso Ministries at versoministries.com. How about that? This uh, distinction that you just drew, really profound between destination and disposition. Now, of course, for a pilgrimage, the the destination matters. Sure. But the sure. disposition is is in some ways formed by the destination about mm-hmm like you said, that openness to how uh, Christ may be encountered on the way and the other sort of surprises. Mm-hmm. In terms of somebody coming into a pilgrimage and fostering a pilgrim's disposition, what kind of work has to take place beforehand? Yeah, it's and that's so much of my job right now is doing that kind of before, because I don't get to go on all the trips. I know that's shocking. I don't get right. to accompany the people. Right. So a lot of my work is um, getting them ready and, and and some of our work is getting them practically ready because if you're not practically ready, logistically ready for a trip, it's hard for the Holy yep. Spirit to work, right? Yep. Um, and so getting them practically ready. But then, you know, I think it's important to go into a trip kind of knowing what you're going to see, having some idea. So I do some formation about the actual sites um, and then do do formation about this openness and about the different dispositions of a pilgrimage uh, or of a pilgrim kind of challenging them. Like, what are you going to leave behind, right? There are things you need to leave behind, and there are things you need to take with you. And so we kind of do exercises through email communication of, you know, be thinking about these things. Don't Mm -hmm. just go to the trip without taking time to think about your prayer intention, who you're taking with you spiritually, what problems you're taking with you. John Paul talks a lot about how, you know, we think we need to, like, put away our life and, and escape. Maybe that's good on a vacation, but on a pilgrimage, you actually take all those things with you and you lay them on the altar, right? You take all those problems and lay them on the altar and give them back to the Lord. Um, and so helping people see this and walking them through it beforehand. Um, we do, you know, Zoom meetings ahead of time to get people ready for the trip, but just helping people really enter in and, and not never thinking they're not good enough for a pilgrimage, not thinking that um, maybe they're too good for a pilgrimage, but just yes. helping them enter in right where they are um, into this into this experience. Mm. In terms of making that inventory, those judgments about what to bring with you, what to leave behind mm-hmm. as part of the preparation for the pilgrimage, I also think about you know the other side of the pilgrimage, the return, because yeah. it is really probably easier to leave that 
pilgrimage experience behind, that spiritual encounter. You may want to bring it back, but nevertheless, it's something that happened over there on the Camino, in the Holy Land, in Rome, etc. What are the sort of necessary movements, dispositions, practices, disciplines for bringing the spiritual encounter of a pilgrimage, which happens outside of your normal routine, back into your ordinary everyday life? Yeah, I think it's similar to, you know, when you go on a great retreat Mm. or when you have kind of this mountaintop experience, right? And then you come down to the mountain and you go right back into the ordinary life and you completely forget what you just received. Um, I'm really big about the spirituality of memory, that we have to constantly remember what the Lord did for us. And so, you know, even people who aren't good journalers, <laughs> there's some of us that that love to journal and there's some people that hate to journal. I encourage people no matter what to, to journal on a pilgrimage, even if it's just making a bullet list, a bullet point list at the end of the day, each day before you go to bed, like, what did you do? What were the blessings? So that a year from now, you can go back and see, oh, that's what the Lord did. It's so easy for us, maybe in those dark nights of the soul, or even just when we get busy, to forget what the Lord did for us. And on pilgrimage, sometimes we don't even realize what he's done for us until we go back and look. And so I'm I'm a big proponent of journaling, mm-hmm. even if you're not a journaler, mm-hmm. to journal on pilgrimage, because you have to remember even those little gifts that the Lord gave you, they might be given to you for much later. I mean, I look at back some of my Holy Land pilgrimages, I had petitions and I had questions for the Lord. He answered much later. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even know how he was answering them, right? Right, right. And so I think always that spirituality of memory. Mm. I love this phrase, the spirituality of memory. Yeah. I and mean, so much of the religious life is about the memory. And as you so wonderfully put it, remembering what the Lord has done for us. I think, you know, in biblical terms about mm. the Israelites in the desert on the other side of the Red Sea, just yeah. a couple, you know, a month or so after this great deed of liberation, they have forgotten what the Lord has done for them. Yeah. And the manna that they receive every morning is a call back to remember. And then the saints in the end of time, I love this from St. Augustine at the end of the city of God, who's basically musing on, you know, what are the saints doing all the time? And what they're doing Mm. is recalling the mercies that the Lord has lavished upon them and telling each other the stories of the Lord's mercy. And they enjoy each other's stories of God's mercy for them. Can we speak about that a little bit, about the importance of sharing these stories of pilgrimage, of telling others, whether in testimony or in writing or just in the witness of life, telling others about these encounters with the Lord? Yeah, we actually, when people come back from pilgrimage, they continue to receive emails from us and we help them tell their story, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe with some help from um, a certain um, Dr. V. Lorenzo's uh, (laughs) resources about telling the story and memory. An Um, unintentional (laughs) lead into it. But we we actually, we brought, um, we took 1,100 kids to World Youth Day in in Portugal. Thank you. Um, It was incredible. It was incredible. incredible. I don't know whether I'll ever do it again, but it was incredible. And um, when they got back, really helping them learn how to tell their story, because Mm. It's so easy when you come back from a trip and someone asks you and you don't have the words. Right. You're, you're like, it was great. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Right. You or actually, just a record of events. There was this right. and then there was that. And then that's not right. a story. That's just right. yeah, the TikTok. And then you feel kind of bad because you're you're you don't want to brag to these people who didn't go. Right. right. Like, how do you constructively tell a story without just like listing events or saying about the great meal you ate? Right. Mm. Like, how do you find meaning, mm. I think, in the events and in the story? And so we actually help people kind of construct their story. We even tell them to maybe practice their little elevator speech yeah. because you need to learn your own story so that you can share it because none of these experiences were given just for you. 
And again, that's something I learned in 05 when I was there for JP2. Like, why from all eternity did the Lord choose me to be present in Rome in that semester? It wasn't because of me, right? It was because I need to take this out to others and I need mm. to share that joy with others. So I think it's important to actually construct your story and 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 practice your story and find that meaning in an elevator speech, right? Because nobody wants to sit through and watch your family video of, you know, <laughs> 10,000 pictures, right? You need to figure out, okay, yeah. what's the gist of the lesson that the Lord? Yeah. Um, and I actually started a, a podcast with Verso called In Via, On The Way, where we talk about like, how, how did you see the Lord in this particular moment mm. that you're then going to take home and it's going to impact your life? Because mm. he's done something for you tangibly here, but it's a lesson that you're supposed to take on the the big pilgrimage of life, mm. right? And so let's let's figure that out and then take it into our daily life. Yeah, it's so great to hear that you're doing that in podcasts because it, it would seem that, you know, telling the stories of these encounters on pilgrimage with others, part of what you're passing on is that encounter so others can be edified by it. But you're also sort of passing on the example of how to claim these stories mm -hmm. and what it is like to tell these stories so mm -hmm. other people can start to have more of a sense of what these stories of faith, stories of encounter are like. So to do that in this podcast space where yeah. many people can tap in, listen for 25 minutes, 35, whatever it is, yeah. um, it it seems to me that presents such a beautiful example for people to start to practice that on their own. Yes, right? because if you are just kind of going through life, la, 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 and you never hear people Right. Talking about what the Lord has done, yes. you might not even recognize what He's doing in your life. Especially Catholics, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> don't, yes. don't hear we other don't people talk talking talking about, about it, right? Stuff. Like, yeah. I'm not talking about what, the, what. What do you mean? What did God do for me today, <laughs> right? Um, and so, just to kind of mirror that for people, because it's very often the little things that He's doing. It's mm. not these grand big things. One of our first episodes of the podcast was about a girl who lost her luggage. Her whole thing was that was what the Lord taught her was. That my detachment. God, my God, why have you forsaken right, exactly, me? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right. Um, reliance on others. Uh, um, all the things she learned, even others learning the lesson of being able to take care of her and mm. her allowing them to take care of her, right? All these lessons. In the end, she was like, I'm really glad I lost my luggage. This is not the lesson I want, by the <laughs> I way. Know. Yes, right. I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> like, you're glad you lost your yes. luggage. Um, you, you know, as a college student, you're far beyond me in maturity, <laughs> right? Um, but her story can remind us that even in those times of disappointment and desolation, mm. the Lord is working in our life. Mm. You might not lose your luggage. I hope no one ever has to lose their luggage ever again. But you've experienced something in your life where it's hard to see the Lord working. Mm. And maybe her testimony can help you see what he's doing in your life too. Yeah. You know? This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today. My guest, Joan Watson, Pilgrim Formation Manager for Verso Ministries. You can find them online at versoministries.com. That's V-E-R-S-O ministries.com. Joan, you've written and said that saints are made in ordinary time. Love that. Thanks. Saints are made in ordinary time. I'm Tell trademarking us. that. You absolutely no. <laughs> should put it on everything. Tell us about that. How did you yeah. come to this understanding and, and what are you getting at? Yeah. So it's interesting. That's kind of when I started, when I quit my job to to speak and write, 
I was talking a lot about that. And then when I took this job, I thought, am I turning my back on an ordinary time? On ordinary time, time, right? Like yeah. now we're going over. And um and and even turning my back on like that that yeah, that message. And I realized it's all connected because we are all on this big pilgrimage of life and most of it looks very ordinary. Mm. Um the 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 phrase actually came to me. Um I studied in Rome in 2005 and then 2008. And in 2008 I had a blog that I updated pretty much every day about my adventures in Rome. Mm. And when I came back to the States, um, the very last homily I heard um, in, in Rome, I think it was like Corp- it was Corpus Christi probably. And the priest talked about how now we're about to go into ordinary time. And it's not nearly as exciting as Easter. And it's not nearly as exciting as all these feasts. Right. But that's where we become a saint. And I thought, and I'm about to go back home. Mm. It's a lot harder to be holy in that you know, drudge of everyday monotonous life. I'd much rather just stay in Rome. Right. And you get to see beautiful churches and you I was a student at the time. So all I had to do was like sit in classes at the Angelicum and then, you know, go to beautiful churches and eat. Right. Right. Like what more could you want? Right. So my sister said, you know what? You need to start another blog rather than Joan in Rome. You need to start a blog, Joan in Ordinary Time. Uh. And so it all came out of that. Um, And so this idea that most of us aren't living in Rome and eating, you know, gelato every day. We're taking care of our families and going to work. But that's where we're called to be a saint. We're not called to be saints just on feast days. We're called to be saints in the ordinary everyday life. Um, I know that that's not why the, the the church calendar ordinary isn't called ordinary because mm. of the ordinary. Um, and so, like, lots of priests like to tell me, Joan, you're misinterpreting the word ordinary in thank, ordinary thank time. You, like, thanks. Thank, uh, yes. Just just stick with me here, right? <laughs> um, but that's where we mostly find our our holiness. And it's it's hard because it looks ordinary and it looks, you know, monotonous. Um, I also like to think about like saints are made on Monday mornings, right? It's that Monday morning alarm going off or kids coming into our room, waking us up, making breakfast. That's, that's holiness. Mm. And we miss it so often because we're looking for something dramatic. We're looking for martyrdom. We're looking for sidewalk preaching. We're looking for these huge saint stories. Yes. The saints that we're called to do be, is making the coffee for our wife on Monday morning so that mm-hmm. it's up, you know, it's ready when she's done changing the baby's diaper, mm-hmm. right? That's holiness. Mm-hmm. And so helping people see that holiness is not dramatic. I mean, it is dramatic, but in very ordinary ways. Mm. I wonder about, you know, this experience of being on the pilgrimage where, you know, you're in a setting often that you haven't been to before, you're certainly not as familiar with. Um, your senses tend to be sharpened. Yeah. Um, you're more alert yeah. there. You notice things. And I wonder how much mm. that experience of being on the pilgrimage and just having your senses awakened yeah. is part of the formation of coming back to mm. ordinary life so that you can see in ordinary time some of the things that you had glossed over before. Yeah. Right? The awakening of the senses. Yeah. I love that. I've never really, I've never thought about that, but it's it's so true that, yeah, we have to kind of be shaken up mm. and then come back home. Um Grant Wood, the painter that made, um, that painted American Gothic, Uh um, he said something like, I had to go to France to love Iowa, (laughs) or I had to go to France to appreciate Iowa. And and I love that, that sometimes you have to go away, be shaken, you know, have those senses alerted to go back home and see things anew and Mm. see things fresh, you Mm. know. Well, that's that's really telling because I'm supposed to lead a pilgrimage for Verso in May to France. I'm going to come back and love Iowa. There you go. 
That's, I bet you never that, knew you needed that to love Iowa. That is the reward for it. Yeah, <laughs> I look forward to that. That's excellent. So, well, Joan, what are some of the things that you have coming up on your plate or versus looking looking forward to? Yeah, so we have lots of fun trips coming up, but the one I'm looking forward to is in June, I'm leading a trip um, to Marion Shrines across mm. the Iberian Peninsula. Oh, my. So we're starting in Fatima and going all the way to Lourdes, um, stopping at Zaragoza and some other Marion Shrines along the way. So I'm really excited about that because I got to put on my formation hat and really design the itinerary and put like themes for each day. And I'm going to be giving some talks along the way. Mm. So I'm excited for that. The Is that just open? It's open to to anyone. Yeah. So you can find information on our website. Um, I think it's Marion 2024, versoministries.com slash Marion 2024. But all the information's there. Um, so that's that's what I'm looking forward to this spring. But we have some really great trips coming up, some young adult youth trips mm-hmm. open to high school students and young adults, to Lourdes, to Mexico City. So we're really excited. We're getting ready for the Jubilee year mm-hmm. in 2025. No one's really talking about the Jubilee yet, but, but we're thinking about it and we're getting ready for it. Um, and then I'm also thinking of ways to help form people who aren't able to go on pilgrimage, who aren't able to go overseas but who are still on this daily pilgrimage of life. And how can we see our lives as this pilgrimage towards heaven that will change our perspective on our lives, I think, drastically. So it's the podcast and some other fun things in the pipe, in the pipeline. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for making the time to come and chat with me today and share so much about your work in the ministry of Verso. Again, friends, if you're looking to follow up and find out more about what Joan is doing and her colleagues at Verso Ministries, you can find them online at versoministries.com. Again, that's V-E-R-S-O ministries.com. Joan, thank you so very much. Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of you, as always, for joining us on Church Life today. This has been a production of OSV Podcasts. To learn more, visit osvpodcast.com.